Thank you, Andy. Man, that was great. Uh, this is week number two of, our, of a three-part series called With Honor. And as we jump into the message today, I'm, I want to invite you to honor God's word, honor God's message, honor your pastor by taking out your notes. And I want to encourage you to, to fill in the blanks, take some notes as we, as we move through this. And I'll just tell you right now, Taking notes is something I'm going to continue to stress to you because I want us to be, develop a culture of taking notes as a church. Uh, I'm, I'm being more and more convicted about this. We are dealing with serious issues here every week. This information is worthy of you processing it, thinking it through, jotting it down. The U.S. Air Force did a study and discovered that the simple act of taking notes during, during a lecture, during a, t- a presentation, just circling words, underlining stuff, checking things, jotting down a word, it improves your retention dramatically. It makes a huge difference. And so I just want to encourage you, every time we do this, to take out your notes, fill in some blanks, jot some stuff down, because you need to learn, remember, and do God's Word. Folks, we are living in perilous, perilous times. You need all the help you can get. So today, as we jump right in, we're at Romans chapter 12, verse 10. It says, Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And read this last phrase with me. Honor one another above yourselves. Uh, Last week, we defined honor as recognizing the value, worth, importance, the weight of something. Both the Hebrew word chaved and the Greek word tamao mean that you recognize the weight, the value, the worth, the importance of someone or something. Dishonor is the opposite of that. Dishonor means that you take someone or something lightly. You, you, you reduce, you remove the importance of the thing. Last week we asked the question, where is the honor? And we determined that where is the honor? Honor starts in the heart. Honor doesn't rest in the person that you're honoring. It starts in your own heart. This week we're asking the question, who do we honor? Who do we ascribe value, worth, weight to? Who do we honor? And 1 Peter 2.17 just lays it out for us. First three words, he says, show proper respect. Notice he says proper respect. You may be showing some respect, but we need to show proper respect. Now let me give you a a little side teaching here about some of this. Whenever I talk to you about behavioral issues, about lifestyle issues, about how we live and move and have our being kind of stuff, how you operate in the world, it's important for you to internalize the motive behind it. Because if you don't internalize the motive behind it, then you're just going to focus on the behavior and suddenly your Christianity becomes just a cold, dead legalism that will beat you to death. And that's not what we're after. Honoring is not something that you do because you've been threatened about it. Honoring is not something that you do because God is going to punish you if you don't. Honoring is something that you do out of the delight of your heart. You know, even this note-taking thing, I don't want you to do that because I'm coercing you into it. I want you to do it because of your delight in God's Word. Out of your delight in what God teaches you when, when, when you participate in the learning experience. But you won't experience that delight if you never do it. So do it. Okay? Show proper respect. And here scripture takes an ugly turn. Show proper respect to everyone. We show honor 
to others, to everyone, not just the people we agree with, not just the people we think are honorable, everyone. Peter goes on, love the brotherhood of believers, fear God, honor the king. Now when Peter says to honor the king, keep in mind that Peter is telling people to honor a king like King Herod who killed all those little boys in Bethlehem in the Christmas story. Peter is telling people to honor a king like Pontius Pilate who crucified Jesus Christ. He's telling people to honor Nero, the emperor of Rome, who persecuted, martyred Christians, fed them to lions in the Colosseum. Peter says, honor the king. Those are the kind of kings he knew about. And when you realize that, you realize the value of honor. Because if, people, if Peter tells people to honor a vicious dictator who's never elected by anyone, if he tells people to honor a ruler who martyred believers, if he tells people to honor a ruler who crucified Jesus Christ, then what is Peter telling us to do with our rulers today? We can't just discount the parts of Scripture that we don't like. Because if we discount the parts we don't like, then it undermines the verses that we are desperate for. If we say, well, God's not really serious about honoring the king, if we can take or leave that verse, kind of like it's an a la carte Bible buffet, then, then God, maybe God's not really serious about saving me. You know, if I'm going to, I can't cling to the reassuring verses about salvation in heaven if I'm not willing to cling to the difficult verses about how I'm going to live my life. My, my salvation hangs on the veracity of God's word and the validity of my faith in it. I can't pick and choose the parts of the Bible that I like and then ignore the parts I don't like. This is a package deal. And honor is part of the package. So who do we honor? We're going to start general and then move to the specific. Number one, it starts with honor others. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. You know, humility is how you create a culture of honor. When you humble yourself, you, you lift others up. It's not all about you. It's not about what you want. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. The verse we started with, Romans 12.10, I'm going to give it to you in the New King James Version. It says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another. Just think what would happen if you were kindly affectionate to one another, if you gave preference to one another at work or, or at home. I mean, imagine if you go first. No, after you. You go first. No, after you. Here, let me help you with that. Can I give you a hand with that? Can I do that for you? I just invite you to put the culture of honor to the test and just see if not only does it benefit the person that you honor, but if it doesn't benefit you as well. Toronto, Canada, they did, did a study of the value of household chores. And they discovered that kids who involve themselves in daily chores... Parents, write this down. I'm trying to help you out here. This is when you need to take a note, okay? Kids who do household chores are more kind and compassionate in all of their relationships. All of their relationships. Doing household chores affects a kid's character. But it matters what kind of chores they're doing. 
If they're just doing self-serving chores like pick up your toys, make your bed, clean your room, has no effect. None. But if the chores involved serving others, like taking out the trash, mowing the lawn, weeding the garden, doing the dishes, feeding the dog, never the cat. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just being serious. Uh, If what the kid did was an act of service toward other people. There was an off-the-charts effect on how they treated other people in the family, how they treated other people in all their relationships. Serving others, honoring others, esteeming others has a profound effect on your character and on your relationships. When Jesus Christ said, be the servant of all, he was not saying that to be mean to you. He was saying that to bless you. Honor others. Second level of honor is to honor authority. Thank God for authority. If there were no authority, we would live in chaos, confusion, lawlessness. If there were no traffic laws or speed limits, you'd probably die on the way home from church. You know, the God you serve works through a chain of command. He works through authority structures. In the Trinity itself, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. There's authority and structure. When Jesus gave us the Lord's Prayer, he just lays out levels of authority. Our Father, there's authority. Who art in heaven, he's a higher authority. Hallowed be thy name. There's weight and honor given to him. Thy kingdom come. Honor the king. Thy will be done. There's authority. Long before we get to give us this day our daily bread. You know, that's, that's where most of us live. We're focusing on our needs. Lord, give me, give me, meet my needs. Long before God gets to meeting our needs, he's just laying out who's the authority. But we live in a culture that dishonors authority. From the parent in the home, to the teacher in the classroom, to the boss in the workplace, to the policeman on the street, to the president in the White House. Our culture fosters dishonor. Bible calls us to just the opposite. It says everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Even King Herod, even Pontius Pilate, even Emperor Nero, even George W. Bush, even Barack Obama have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so bring judgment on themselves. God doesn't have to judge you if you rebel against the the plan that he's instituted. Your, Your rebellion, your dishonor yourself will bring judgment on you. Now, now I need to walk you through this before you walk out, okay? (laughs) Because in our day, this can be confusing and very frustrating. What are the authorities that God has established? First, government. Our local government, our mayors, our city councils, our school boards, our state representatives, our governors, our federal government, Congress, the president, the Supreme Court. God has established those institutions. And unfortunately, we've become a culture that mocks, demeans, and dishonors not only the people who fill those positions, but the very positions themselves. Now, you may say, well, what if I don't agree with those leaders? 
And I'll just tell you, personally, I don't agree with them much these days. I mean, one of the reasons why I wanted to work through this series is I'm trying to figure out how God wants me to respond to leaders who are destroying everything I hold dear. I mean, this is a very personal message for me. I wept as I, as I worked on this one. Now, here's what you do when you disagree with them. First of all, you do your homework on the issues. You get informed. Folks, you can't get your news from The Daily Show, The View, or Facebook. You, you've got to read some serious stuff. You've got to get informed on the issues. Second of all, call, or better yet, write your representatives. A well-written letter makes far more difference than anything you will ever do on Facebook. Now, it needs to be a well-written letter, and it needs to be addressed to the honorable, and then you state their title and their name. You do it with honor. Dear stupid will not have a positive effect. Okay? Trust me on that. I have friends who have served, and some are serving, in state government and in the federal government. And they tell me that politicians often make a landmark decision on how to vote on the basis of five or six well-written letters from their constituents. Five, a handful of well-written letters can make a huge difference. That's the power of honor. Even if they don't vote the way you want them to, you have, you have, your voice has been heard if you've done it properly. Why? Why does that have so much power? Because everybody hates them. Everybody mocks them. Everybody yells at them. Everybody threatens them. Very few people speak to them with honor. And if you do that, you can make a difference. Third, you need to put your money where your conviction is. It doesn't take a large contribution to make a difference in a political campaign you would be surprised at the power of a $25 contribution. Small donations are even more important than large donations because small donations represent votes. Small donations represent a committed grassroots following to the candidate and to the ideas that they espouse. Fourth, this is probably the most important thing you can do, is vote. Only 30% of the country votes only 50% of Christians vote. Folks, that's just shameful. That's just shameful. You know why the extreme fringe gets their political agenda passed? Because they get informed, they write letters, they give money, and they vote. Now, as believers, we also need to pray. We need to pray. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But I just tell you, if you're not willing to get informed, to write some letters to contribute and vote, then don't complain. Because you're getting the government that you deserve. Now, whether we agree with our rulers or not, God doesn't want us to dishonor them. Because it doesn't help. It really doesn't help. And I have learned so much about this from my India pastor friends. I mean, these guys pastor, they minister in a country where the authorities arrest them put them in jail, and beat them for preaching the gospel. And when they respond to that authority with honor, their church grows. Their church grows. Because honor is an important 
biblical value. And God will teach us to honor those in authority one way or the other. We can either learn it voluntarily or we can learn it under duress because God is in control. He's the ultimate authority. And God is more concerned with your character than he is with your comfort. So if God has to persecute you in order to develop your character, he'll do it. If God has to discipline or even destroy your country, God is more concerned about his church than he is your country. And if you don't believe that, you just need to look at history. The church has outlived every country, every empire over the last 2,000 years because it's about the church. Another place where you're under authority is in the workplace and the school. Typically, you spend your day under someone else's authority. And God wants you to spend your time there showing honor to those in authority. Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That means you don't sit at work and play solitaire all day until the boss walks by and all of a sudden, whoo, man, I'm just so busy, whoo. No, no. You work for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. The school, what would it look like if as parents we honored our kids' teachers and principals? What if as parents we considered the teachers and principals to be allies instead of enemies? What if when they told us our kids were doing something wrong, what if we didn't immediately defend our kid and attack the teacher? What if we listened to what they had to say? What if we viewed them as our eyes and ears that see how our kid behaves when we're not around? What if we honored them? Get to know your kids' teachers. Listen to them. Work together as a team to raise and educate your kids. We need all the help we can get. And teachers tell me that that very few parents ever express an interest in what their kid's doing at school. And when the teacher sees a behavioral problem, something that needs to be addressed, and they try to address it, they often meet with resistance from the parents. I mean, who in the world does that help? How, How does that truly benefit the child? We need to honor, honor people in the school. Third area. Is family. Most of the verses in the Bible have to do with honor, deal with family. Husbands, God calls us to lead your families by showing honor to your wife. Wives, God calls you to show honor to your husband. I mean, how would it change the dynamic in your home, the atmosphere in your home, if you treated one another with value and worth and honor, if you recognize the importance of the, of the part that each of you plays in the house? As a pastor, I'm always amazed at funerals, at the attempt to honor a family member that has passed. I mean, at funerals, people just gush about how great dad was, how great mom was, uh, how great Uncle Harry was, especially at the funeral of a child. We just go over the top with praise and compliments. And I understand the grief process. I really do. But sometimes I wonder, why don't we do that when people are alive? You know, instead, families fight about some of the silliest stuff, and those fights create an atmosphere of pettiness and dishonor in the life of the family. And then when somebody dies, we go over the top to paint them as a saint. Why why didn't we share some of that honor with them when it would do some good? 
instead of trying to soothe our conscience after they're gone. I mean, today, you, I would encourage you, you just need to sidle up next to your spouse, one of your kids, and, and just tell them whatever you'd say at their funeral. I mean, don't creep them out with it. Okay? But, you know, don't wait till they're dead to tell them something that they need to hear when they're alive. Fourth area of honor. The Bible talks about is spiritual. 1 Timothy 5.17, The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. We're to honor the people who are, who are ministering to us spiritually. So how do, how do I show honor in these four areas? Look at this verse. It says, I urge then, first of all, circle that phrase, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority. I mean, what if we prayed for those in authority as much as we complain about them? What if we stopped complaining and, first of all, spent some serious time praying for them? What would be the result? You know, our, our sermon series after this one, we've got one more week on With Honor, and then the one I'm working on ahead uh, is, is called Pray First. Pray First, six-week series on prayer. Three of the weeks is, is going to be 21 days of prayer and fasting. And some of you are thinking, you mean we're not going to eat for 21 days? Yes. That's what I mean. That's why the first three weeks of the series, we're going to talk about prayer and fasting. So we know what to do during the 21-day focus on prayer and fasting. But why would we do this? Why would we dedicate that much time, that much effort to this? Look what God promises as a result of praying for those in authority. So that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. I mean, don't you want that? This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So we're going to pray first in order to honor those in authority. Next, honor parents. Why do I treat parents differently than family? Why do I treat them differently than authority? Because God does. God treats parents as as a special group. Ephesians 6, 2, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Honor your father and your mother. And the pushback here is always, what what if I don't have good parents? But God says you need to recognize the value, the worth, the weight of your parents, whether they're good parents or not. If for no other reason than the simple fact that they are the ones that God used to give you a beating heart that beats for him and a soul that sings for him. You know, just for that simple fact. As if the conception, gestation, birth, and raising of a human being can be considered a simple fact. Okay? I mean, I was there for the birth of all three of our kids, and it's nothing short of a miracle. I was there for the conception, and I thought that was pretty cool. Okay? But, you know, you, you watch a, a human birth, and, man, you need to honor your mother. You need to honor your father. And I know what it's like to have a difficult relationship with your father. My dad and I had a contentious relationship all the way through. At best, we lived with an impasse in our relationship. It was a stalemate. It was gridlock that wasn't going anywhere. But since I became a believer, I, I've tried to honor my father. And the older I get, 
the greater the appreciation that I have for him. I mean, my dad led a difficult life with severe loss, both as a child and as an adult. My dad worked hard, hard, hard every day with serious physical pain in order to provide for our family. And my appreciation for his personal struggles grows every day, and I honor him for that. And I can't tell it to him because he's gone. I would give anything if I could go back and be a teen, be a young man again, and honor my father. But I can't do that. But I can tell you to do it. You need to honor your father and your mother. One of the most significant causes of decay in our culture is the decline in honor to our fathers. And you see it in TV, you see it in movies, you see it in commercials. You see it in the way wives and children treat the fathers in our families. And I know one of the reasons is just the high rate of divorce and the woundedness and the antagonism that flows out of that. I mean, people are not interested in showing honor to their ex. They're just not. But God says you need to show proper respect. Oh, they don't deserve any respect. Well, that's not how your God in heaven sees it. That's not how God sees it. God says that you need to hold up the father, the mother of your child. You need to hold them up with value, worth, and honor, even if they're your ex. It doesn't do your kid any good for you to demean half of who they are. That's wounding to them. God says, let no slander or cursing come out of your mouth, but only blessing. Jesus said, bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. I didn't write this stuff. God did. And you and I need to embrace it. Honor parents. Number four, we need to honor age. I, I grew up in an era, many of you did. I remember at family dinners when I was a kid, my grandpa, my grandma, and my great aunt Eva, they went through the food line first. Anybody with gray hair went right to the head of the line. And they went through the line first. At our family dinners, the rest of the adults went through the line next. And the kids all sat quietly in the living room praying there would be enough food. And you knew you weren't going to get the drumstick because the adults were honored. We honored age. Look at this. Leviticus 19. Rise in the presence of the aged. Show respect for the elderly and revere your God. I am the Lord. Oh, that's Old Testament. That's outdated. No, it's the word of God. It's eternal. We need to show respect for the elderly. One of the smartest things Katie and I ever did when we were first married. I was 18 when we got married. Katie was 12. And... <laughs> One of the smartest things we ever did is we got into a small group with a bunch of retired couples. I mean, I'm a guy, I'm 20 years old. I'm in a small group with guys who are 60, 70, and 80, retired guys. And, you know, we tried going to the young married small group, but we quickly discovered that everybody in there was as ignorant as we were, and we needed more help than that. We wanted some people who had some wisdom that they could, they could give to us. And so in the early years of our marriage, we spent a lot of time with those who were older and wiser and let them pour in uh, to us. Now, we did a lot of fun stuff with people our age, too, because, you know, the ones that were retired, they didn't want to water ski and do the stuff that, you know, we wanted to do. So we had a lot of fun with people our age, but we honored the older people in our midst. 
Job said, is not wisdom found among the aged? Does not long life bring understanding? Now, this one cuts both ways. You know, young people need to honor older people. But, but we who are older, we need to be living life in such a way that it reflects wisdom and understanding. You know, we don't need to pass on foolishness to the next generation. My mom said, there's no fool like an old fool. And there are lots of people who don't grow wise, they just grow old. And so, you know, it goes both ways. We have a responsibility to be respectable as we grow older. The Bible says to honor age. It also says not to despise youth. Paul told Timothy, a young pastor, let no one despise your youth. Instead, you should be an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. You know, as an older person, we can learn from the example of the younger. I love the young guys around this church. I love the young couples here. Man, I learned so much from them. And we just need to honor one another. And I know there's all these generational rifts and all this stuff. I mean, the skinny jeans thing. I tell you, I don't get skinny jeans. I don't get the sagging thing. I do not get the sagging thing. And now they've got skinny jeans that sag. I really do not get that. Okay? But when I get to cranking on that stuff, I just remember that when I was young, I thought this was cool. <laughs> Last service, we had a guy dressed just like that. I really felt bad. Um, number five, we are to honor nature. Honor nature. As a Christian, I want, to, I want to treat nature with respect. Number one, because God created it. The earth is God's canvas to show us his glory. I don't need to be trashing that up. You know, God created it. He calls us to manage it. Genesis 1.28, God blessed Adam and Eve and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. We're to manage, to subdue, to rule over the earth. And I have, I have a fiduciary responsibility to care for the earth for the next generation. Personally, I'm a conservationist, not an environmentalist. Okay? Environmentalism views nature as sacred and humans as intruders. They view humans as parasites who are destroying nature. They put nature above humans, they put creation above God... And humans are to serve nature. That's not biblical. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says God is the creator. He has put me in charge of creation to subdue it, to rule over it, so that nature brings the greatest benefit to man and the greatest glory to God. I mean, what's the role of the gardener? Well, the gardener tends the garden, but not just for the sake of the garden. He does it because he gets to enjoy the beauty of it and he gets to eat the fruit the results from it. The garden serves the gardener, not the other way around. And God designed creation, put us in charge of it, in order to benefit us and bring glory to God, not nature. Which leads to the sixth point. We need to honor God. And that might seem like, oh, that's just a biblical cliche, honor God. Well, let me tell you something that maybe you've never considered. To honor means we take something that we might dishonor, treat lightly, might consider common and ordinary. We take it and we give it value, worth, importance. We give it weight. 
That helps the Bible make sense for you. That, that's why Psalm 29 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord. Because you haven't done it. Ascribe to the Lord the glory. Glory in the Hebrew is similar to the word honor. Glory means weight. The problem is we haven't put enough weight on God. If, if we did, our world would be different. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Psalm 34, oh, magnify the Lord because we've made him too small. Magnify him. Magnify the Lord. Exalt his name together. Make a huge difference if we did that. How? How do I do that? Well, Scripture says you do it in two ways. One is you honor God with how you live in your body. You honor God when you do all these other things. Honor others, honor authority, honor the family, honor nature. That, 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 that honors God when we do that. That's why he tells us to do it. And then the second way we honor God is you honor God with what you do with your possessions. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. You know, as we live in these crazy, crazy times, I just want us to be a church that lives with honor. Let's pray together. God, we, do, we just adore you. I mean, you are an amazing God. You have created such an intricate, wonderful creation for us. You have created us in such an amazing way that we can live and, and interact and, and um, do things. It's just phenomenal. The relationships that we can have, the organization that we can create in our culture and our countries, and just the, uh, the awesomeness of who you have made us to be and what you've granted to us. God, we just, we just thank you for, for all that you have done. And, and we confess today, we just recognize that we haven't given you the honor that you are due. And God, we've fallen short in honoring in our families and honoring in our culture and honoring in our country. And that's why we have the pain and the brokenness and the chaos and the confusion that we have. And so today, God, we just we confess that to you. And we thank you that you have promised that if we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God, as we confess, as we look to you, we just, we just thank you, we praise you that you'll forgive us and that you'll show us the way. God, I would just pray for the people in, in, in this church. I just pray that, that the woundedness that they have in their relationships with their parents, with their spouses, with their kids, with their bosses in the workplace, with their elected officials, that, that you would move into our hearts, that you would heal us, that you would give us the hope of Christ so that we could love the brotherhood with brotherly love, kindly affection. And God, give us the strength even to honor the King. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.